Look, trapping ready to happen again. Look at it, we got a fire popping out here again. Cause they're always going down somewhere. Cause crack, cause all on crackheads over there. Cause, cause I had an accident, man. I hurt my homeboy, man. I'm my homeboy. I gotta go to the hospital. Cause look at this shit. Cause, cause we suing. Cause, cause we suing. Cause we don't care. Cause, cause you going to hell. Cause look at them over there. Cause y'all going to hell. Cause, look at them Backstreet Boys over there. I had an accident. Cause, look at the Backstreet Boys over there. Cause y'all don't had an accident. Cause y'all, y'all don't came down the wrong way. Cause y'all try to do too much singing. Cause. Cut well dress what well, just intimidate when you need them, cut. Cut well just intimidate when you need them, cut. The best street boys over here I had ass then, cut. Look at you, cut. Cut, look at the best street boy, cut. I want it that way. Look at you. Favorite video of all time. <laughs> that video is the best, man. So guys, Rob bailed on me tonight. He Apparently did. he's got a it's gotta be like a dad or something. I don't know. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Me and Nick were just talking in the green room about like how as Catholic, like being on Catholic YouTube, does not like you don't have like the biggest audience, right? Like, so if you look look at like Daily Wire and stuff, like those guys will have over a million subs. It's mainly because they talk politics and stuff, though, right? Yeah, because it's like if you're casting a net, if you're just trying to make content out there, like what percentage of people on YouTube are going to be going to Catholic content? It's like the big content, it's going to be politics if it's like more intellectual. But then like if it's entertainment, most people are wanting to watch like, I mean, when I was a kid, it was like fails and stuff and then pranks yeah. became a thing during like the mid 2010s. So just in a general sense, most people aren't going to be like, oh, wow, you know this dissertation by St. Thomas, this is amazing. So it, <laughs> what's funny is like, so, I, all right. So tonight it's like, we're talking about the, uh, Joe Rogan had this, uh, intelligent design scientist on yesterday. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and like, when we do off the rails, I try to do stuff like that, like more, more, um, more cultural stuff when we do off the rails. Right. And, those videos don't like uh, like the video we were on last week. Like I've never seen a video take off like that. Now I don't know if it's because we were on for three and a half hours, and like when we got off, I already had six hundred views on it. But that video is at like almost six thousand views now, and it was just us. Yeah, maybe it was uh maybe it was YouTube picking up on like our hyperbolic statements so if we're streaming till we get a new pope and then uh, <laughs> Lincoln the dictator and all that kind of stuff. I think it was, I honestly think it was the title. Like, I think the title had like the perfect amount of, because people were, for, I don't, all right. So Taylor wasn't streaming on that topic. Um, it was like the only one, I think we were like the only ones that covered that topic that soon. Yeah. Right. It was like that day that story dropped and we went on that night and we were just like, Boom, let's let's just do it. And it just worked perfectly, you know? And it was a Friday night too. It was like, I don't know, it was just a combination of things. <laughs> Don saying it was the banjo. <laughs> hey, you know, it is what it is. Modern crisis discussion. So, like, um, so today I um I watched the I watched the Joe Rogan debate today. I watched the whole thing, almost the whole thing. I think I'm like a half hour left in it. It was like extremely frustrating at times. Because Joe Rogan, he, he was, I don't want to like, I don't want to downplay, like, it's, it's weird when you have people that are stubbornly against even considering that the position 
could be. You know what I mean? It's like it's mm-hmm. like he has so much riding on it not being true that he was just like belligerent about some of the things he was asking. Did you catch any of it? I didn't, but let me ask you this. I'm curious. Is did he say like what he believes? Like, is he like just an agnostic or an atheist? Like, what is he exactly? Rogan? Uh-huh. Rogan, he's definitely not a Christian. I think he's an agnostic. I think he says like there could be something, but hmm. look, the thing is. Like, I want to talk to an atheist and ask them, can you give me one moral principle of Christianity that you disagree with or that Christians got wrong that has not that has nothing to do with the pelvic issues? Like, honestly, like, really think about it. Like, do you disagree with the golden rule? Treat others as you want to be treated. Do you disagree with don't point the speck out in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? Do you disagree with don't steal? Don't. Uh, like the Ten Commandments, essentially, that aren't the Sixth and Ninth Commandment, right? Like, don't covet things like that. Don't be, don't be envious. Things like that. Like, I don't think every people do not realize that every single moral principle they have is a Christian moral principle. They just want to do away with the pelvic issues. One hundred ten percent. And the the problem, I think you're right. I think Rogan is an agnostic. The main problem that I find is that oh, fallen away Catholic. I'm not. Yeah, surprised. he was. He, he was raised Catholic and he, I mean, he told a story the other day that he was, uh, he had a horrible experience with a nun when he was younger. It's like, but these, these, that's all nonsense. None of that. It, yeah. Nine times out of 10, somebody has a hang up with the sixth and ninth commandment. Yeah. I was about to say, I feel like I've, I mean, you know, I'm not saying he's a liar or anything, but I do feel like that argument of da, 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 something with the nuns is somewhat of an old argument at this point. It's kind of memeish. I would be interested in asking Rogan some deep questions because it's like, I find this, I don't know about this in your experience, but you kind of alluded to it with the sixth and ninth commandment. I personally think that every time you really kind of start to really press an agnostic and atheist about the existence of God, you really just need to finally ask him one question, which is if I could like 110% completely convince you that there was a God, would you obey him? And when you ask it that way, would you obey him? That's where you really find out the real reason. They'll say no. And you say, well, why? And it goes back to some type of self-exaltation of our own will above that of the divine creator. And that's really what it all comes down to. It it could, it's most likely something with the sixth and ninth commandment, but it really could be any type of thing as long as it's I'm in charge. That's really what it goes down to. It's, it's funny you say that because I think back to my own reversion <clears throat> And it was, I had to get to a point where I said, God, show me that you're real and I will change my life and follow you. Like, if you don't get to that point, mm-hmm. you don't come to faith. You have to actually say like, okay, God, like I'm willing, you have, you show me that you exist and I will, I will follow you. And it's a strange thing that happens. God, like the, he sees an opening for grace and he pours grace in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. No, 100, like 110%. Because that's it's like grace heals nature. And so many people are so afraid. They're so afraid to get out of the driver's seat. And that I, I, Aquinas says this somewhere in his sum. I'm blanking on this, but it's one of the most fascinating lines. Father Ripperger actually quotes it a lot. It's it's a really good line. He says, My translation, when it comes down to it all, God is after our will. Because while on the one hand, our intellect is the highest faculty in the sense that it contemplates it's our will where virtue comes from and where vice comes from. 
And that's the thing which we need to say, like, you are Lord of my will, you're Lord of my life, etc. Because we want to be in the driver's seat. Like, let's all be honest. We, even as practicing Catholics, there's often times where we'll be confronted with like areas of moral theology. Like, let's all be honest. We'll see like old school moral theology and we'll be like, dang, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm getting yeah. all the time. Or maybe you hear like a really good priest's homily and you're like, dang, I feel called out. And even if you submit to it, let's all be honest, there's like a tendency where maybe it's it's not uniquely because we're Americans. It's because we're sinful. Maybe it's enhanced because of the American system. But where we just don't want to listen. We, we, we say the same thing that they said in the, uh, in the, in the new Testament, we will not have him to be Lord over us. Yeah. It's, I think it's also modernity itself, right? Like we're, we're, dude, I don't think any of us really realize how much modernism has affected all of us. Like even the most trad Catholic, like our understanding is so distorted mm-hmm. from 75 years even though we're younger than that it doesn't matter like 75 years of this nonsense and this this overemphasis on mercy and and distortion it's like even today um somebody was telling me that saint thomas allows to uh discipline your wife by hitting her and i'm like i can't imagine a scenario in my life where it would be appropriate to hit my wife to discipline her. And somebody was saying to me, they're like, dude, you just have a modern understanding. Like if you went back to the middle ages, like the proper understanding of patriarchy, like a wife would understand that you had the authority to discipline her. And if she repeatedly did something, but I'm like, I don't like, I just like, I can't even fathom that. There's no scenario where that would like, I don't know. I just, I can't imagine a scenario where, hitting someone would get the point across better than having a conversation with them. Like it just doesn't, but maybe I'm just a modernist. I don't know. What do you think? I, I, yeah, I've not come across that. Um, I'll let you know if I come across that. I've never, I've never been exposed to that, but let's just say for the sake of story, that is true. I personally don't think, and maybe call me modernist if, if, if not, but I, I personally don't think it's ever okay to hit a woman unless it's in self-defense or it's in like the direct uh, def- defense of another who's helpless. So like, you know, she's just atta- like a woman's just attacking a child for some reason. You just have to, yeah, I mean, some especially question, get her out of the way, you know, especially modern women where you see them getting in men's faces and punching. Like my rule, I think is 12 mm-hmm. times. Like if you, if a girl hits you 12 times, you'll have to strike back once. That's a fair rule. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, that's a little bit more, yeah, I was going to say a little more concerned. I would have just said if she hits you once, good enough to to go. But nah, yeah, I, I think I, I think I would refrain. I, all right, let's let's be real about this. All right, bro, haven't I'm you seen to... like any Western film of like forty years ago? You'll see like the woman; she'll like slap the main good character, and the guy will just slap her back. I'm that's not saying that's what I mean. Good. Maybe we're so like maybe we're so messed up by feminism that like we don't. I don't know, man. Like guys used to beat their wives <laughs> like they all did. <laughs> it was just like the norm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's where it's like, there's this balance. Like virtue is this mean between two extremes. And I think, I don't want to sound like a liberal, but it's like. We're saying we can't envisage a scenario where it would ever be appropriate to hit a woman. But we're talking about like how in the older days, like men would just beat their wives and it was like normal. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, 
It's like a, a weird thing. I don't get it. Like I could never imagine raising my hands to my wife under, and she's hit me. <laughs> she's in, in yeah. a rage. She's thrown sneakers at me. <laughs> I yeah no. I don't think I could. I yeah no. I can. I don't. There's just something. There's something internal where it's like the image of like a, a man hitting a woman for pretty much any other reason aside from like deliberate self defense just seems so immoral to me yeah. and i think what it is is it reminds me of that verse i think it's in i think it's in first timothy maybe it's first timothy 2 where saint paul talks about like giving honor to the weaker vessel and the the reality of the situation is, is that men have a you know a gift endowed to them by God, not just like a physical strength and aptitude, but also to use that physical strength and aptitude and, and a very linear uh, pattern of thought to benefit the world, which includes men, but very much so their wives and their children. And so therefore the idea of just like being a striker and striking someone, especially whenever like, let's be honest, all of that is usually like a guy's angry at a woman and he's not controlling anger. And so then it becomes vice, you know, it becomes yeah. vice on two fronts. He can't control it. Plus he's, he's now inflicting it on another. Maybe that's just, maybe that's something we can praise God for in the sense that that has become kind of culturally unacceptable. And so guys have to be careful about that. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, nowadays it's kind of like you have this ridiculous notion of like a guy has to ask a woman for permission just to walk up and say hello um that's nonsense <laughs> on top of it and so it's just that happy mean between okay so what about the scene did you ever see godfather 2 i have not but i actually know exactly what they're referring to i've seen this so before. godfather 2 kate aborts michael's child because she says she didn't want to bring another child into it was a boy. She didn't want to bring another boy into this family and he hits her. And I think that was totally appropriate. Yeah. I, like, I get that that's, that's an appropriate scenario. Yeah. There's a, that, that example reminds me of, it was the most heartbreaking video I've ever seen. You may have seen this before, but it was like, I don't know how long ago it was, but it was, it had to be within like the last five years. There's this, horrific video of this father who's outside begging. of the clinic yeah, begging his wife not to go in and murder their child. It's like one of the absolute most horrible f pieces of footage that you could ever watch, in my opinion. You just feel it. You feel it. In that instance, I'd be like, yes, I'd be on top of my wife. I don't care about what the freaking felonies are. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to be on top of my wife trying to get her to get out of there. You know, every force I can, because it's in that moment, you are trying to pervert, uh, prevent, excuse me, a murder from taking place. Yeah. An actual side. <clears throat> yeah, I guess that would be a scenario where I could see it, right? Like that's mm -hmm. that's. But I'm trying to see in my own marriage. It's like I don't know, man. I've had some some rowdy fights in my life, and I've never raised my hands to her. <laughs> Which is impressive because you're Italian, so I know. <laughs> Dude, it's I'm, but I'm. She's so tiny, like she's so tiny. I've I've had to hold her like from hitting me, like you know, like I've had to hold her hands, but I've never had to raise my hands to her. But um, so I have okay. So guys, this is gonna be the most ghetto show you've ever ever watched because rob's not here and rob is always the one who shares everything but i do want to play some of the audio from some of this stuff and the only way i could do that is through the microphone because i'm technology illiterate so it's just I'm gonna, old man y'all it's all right 
I mean, people understand this show is we're very unprofessional. You know, you, so remind, you know who you remind me of? Jake, oh. Jake Fowler, Jeremiah, man, all those old guys over at me. Ah. Right? Like, <laughs> there's a there's a reason it's called the morning show. It's because like all those geezers, they're up super early. They're just chit chatting, drinking their ninth cup of coffee, talking about the good old days back in the 1890s. <laughs> Yeah, it's always Listen, I'm, a, I'm a significant I'm significantly older than you. But if it was up to me, I'd be sleeping until 12 o'clock every day. I don't want to wake up at four in the morning. <laughs> I have no choice. <laughs> Listen, I I do the best I can. Everybody's saying Anthony's boomer moment. Like, I here's the thing I was telling Nick before, like, if I share my screen, I can do it and I can play this stuff, but I won't be able to see what's going on. Like my whole screen would switch over to whatever I'm sharing. So I don't want to do that. I like being able to see what's going on. So let's see how this works. Let's see how bad the audio quality is. Um, do you believe in evolution? I believe in, uh, well, that, that's a, I believe in good. micro evolution. I believe that there are real evolutionary processes. I'm skeptical about what's called universal common descent. The idea that all living forms have evolved from one single common ancestor. I'm profoundly skeptical, skeptical about chemical evolution. The idea that the, um, non-living chemicals in a prebiotic ocean or prebiotic soup arrange themselves to form the first living cell. And I'm also skeptical about the creative power of the mutation selection mechanism, which as it happens, uh, so are many leading evolutionary biologists today. I attended a conference in 2016 at the Royal, convened by the Royal Society uh, in London, uh, Royal Society being the oldest and most august scientific body in the world. It was convened by a group of evolutionary biologists who were essentially dissatisfied with neo-Darwinism, the standard textbook theory that we learn in, uh, in all high school and college textbooks. And, and many of them were saying, we need a new theory of evolution. The first talk at that conference was given by Gerd Muller, a prominent Austrian evolutionary biologist. And he simply enumerated the five major uh, what he called explanatory deficits of neo-Darwinism. And his basic perspective was the mutation selection mechanism does a good job of, of uh, optimizing or modifying pre-existing forms. Um, it can generate small-scale variation, but it does a very poor job of explaining the origin of those forms. Think about... So, <clears throat> all right. So he's, he's talking about microevolution. So that's basically adaptation, right? Yeah, exactly. So like, it's exactly like, what and I, I have no problem with, with adaptation. Like they're okay. So when they brought, when they brought um, hogs over here from Europe, they let them loose in Texas specifically, and over like in the in a course of like 60, 70 years, they developed tusks. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have them in Europe, so you see that like adaptation comes about. You see that there is microevolution. What I think is preposterous is the idea that something can come from like that. So if you're talking about survival of the fittest and, and especially with genes where it's like the most dominant gene plays out, how can a gene that doesn't exist come to be? And they usually make the, the, they usually say, Oh, mutation, but like, you just don't see mutation like that in nature anywhere. So you'll, you'll see a, a species itself adapt over time. You'll never see a frog become a dog anywhere. So, th- so the idea that every species comes from this primordial sludge is so preposterous. It's just, I don't know how they can even hold that theory. 
Yeah, no, there, I mean, the, every, all major, I guess, major evolutionary points all hinge upon the idea. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they all hinge on the idea that there, I mean, the reason that there's millions and billions of years inside of the evolutionary theory is because that's the only way you can kind of justify answering your question of like, well, how, how do you not see these genes uh, mutating into something else? Well, you know, it takes millions of years for it to do so, etc. Um, I personally think, so yeah, microevolution, adaptation, absolutely that happens all the time. You, I mean, we even do that as humans in, in the context of when we look at um, the different ethnicities or we look at um, even just our own personal lives. It's like if we're going to go live in a more arid climate, we're going to adapt to that climate. Yeah, look time. how dark my skin is compared to yours, right? Like, and that's that's you just see it because my family's from southern Italy, so we I have a darker skin pigment than you. You see, Asians have different shape shaped eyes, things like that. It's like like you can see slight adaptation. That's why culturally people will look different than other culturally uh, other other cultures will. <clears throat> but the idea that like everything came from it's just as crazy as thinking that the universe from the big bang came like everything came from nothing it's like without without the creator giving that divine let there be light in the beginning it's 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 preposterous yeah we only know what nothing is because of its reference to something and therefore if nothing created something then we're an upside down world that's why I think that at the best, <clears throat> to my knowledge, the church gives us essentially two positions that we can hold. She very much so gives us uh, the licit belief of believing in young earth creationism. So believing in a literal Genesis one through three uh, creation account. And then especially under Pius Twelfth, you see where he proclaims that it, it, even in human, this is in humani generis. So this is actually the document that we often as trads use against modernists. Uh, he talks about how it is licit to believe in a, you know, the divinely led evolutionary experience where, you know, God is the one who's the creator of everything. Um, it's and man, maybe man's, um, you know, uh, not DNA, but I guess, you know, his, his structures develop and evolve over millions of years. But ultimately, the creation of the soul is an instantaneous thing. And there had to be two humans. So there are like breaks put onto it that separates it from you know a strong darwinian mentality but whether whatever position you end up holding it is you do enter into preposterous world if you deny the reality of a creator that's just that's why that vatican one perfectly phrased the idea that um or the, the belief rather that we can know that god exists with absolute certainty from just nature yeah. And I fully believe that because the more I do philosophy, the more I realize that atheism is exactly what scripture says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is so true. It's not me calling those people out, but this idea that everything which is in movement comes ultimately back to nothing or it goes back to something that we just don't even know, but who really cares? We'll just live however we want. It's a, it's a, it's an idea. It's a doctrine of despair. It's a philosophy of, um, you know, absolute <sighs> destruction. <laughs> I think, I think you're hundred percent. You can know there is a God from reason alone. You can't know there's Christianity from reason alone. That takes yeah. faith. Mm -hmm. You can know there is a God. 
from reason alone, just because the uncaused cause, things like that. If you go back to first principles, things like that. But to, to believe that they're, the Christian God takes, like to believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, that takes faith. You can't prove yeah. that through reason. To, um, deg- well, to a degree, because have you ever read, uh, and this would be something for your viewers if they're interested in this subject, but have you ever read any of the, um, it's in fundamental theology, but it's the old fundamental theology track de revelazione that you see it's especially taught pre-vatican II. so you can't really see it, but it's over my shoulder over here there's the first copy of uh minor's translation on gergo lagrange's de revelazione and then i have one over there as well but de revelazione this was basically the first class that you take in theology inside of seminary before vatican II, and the idea behind this was uh yeah no I agree <laughs> you don't have, if I throw a comment up you don't have to read it you can just keep going. No, good. I always like reading the comments um but De Revelatze and this is the church back when the church was talking about things like the mystery of God and not you know pansexual relationships and stuff like that it's <laughs> um, insane that that's where we are but go ahead um they they it, it's it's fascinating so we can know God exists obviously from from natural reason. But then we have questions like, well, okay, how do we know that this God would even reveal himself to mankind? Like, okay, sure, I can get the idea that God's like at least the deist model of a clockmaker, and then that he kind of walks away from that. But how do we know more than that? We can actually know, or at least from reasonable credibility, that God would, one, give divine revelation, and two, from historical rational credibility, that it would actually be the Christian God. And You want to know, know what's funny? You know who you sound like? Who? Von Balthazar. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so von Balthazar are not his dare we hope thesis uh, he wrote a book called prayer and he uh-huh. and he's trying to so this is like early on in my reversion before i knew who Balthazar was and i'm listening to benedict praise him i'm like all right i'll check this guy out and he wrote a book called prayer and the opening paragraph is the first thing we have to establish is is there a god and if he exists would he reveal himself? Now, if he revealed himself, how does he reveal himself, right? So this is literally how Von Balthasar opens the book Prayer. And it's like, I think so few people, we're going to, okay, so let's let's go back to the com- to the commentary because that clip was one thing, but you'll see as the clips go on, like it, he's going to ask questions about, like Joe Rogan asked questions about scripture and he asked that, like the and there. In some ways, I think this guy did a great job. In some ways, I think he was handicapped because he's not Catholic. Mm, okay. And the scripture question really irked me. I did not like his response at all because so many people, especially you're going to see Rogan, the way he asked the question, it's like, Joe, you clearly have never picked up the Bible in your life. You've never read a gospel. You have no idea what you're talking about. Like the, the way people frame it, it's like, well, it was written by man. How do you know they didn't insert what they wanted to? It's like, dude, do you even understand what scripture is? It's a book really 70 something books written by like a dozen authors over a period of 6,000 years. It's like, you don't really even know what you're talking about. It's they're They're not, there's and nowhere is there really like a list of precepts of this is what you should do this way. No, it's a story that plays out other than, you know, when you get into uh, Leviticus and stuff like that, where they're actually giving prescriptions for how the Jews should live. But there's nothing like that in the new Testament. The new Testament is just, the the gospels and then the epistles and it's like you, you get like a couple of there's nowhere is like a manual for like abortion is this and that like you don't hear stuff like that so you, you'll you'll see when we get to that part but for 
for now, I want to um, let's go with this one. In our experience, are the product of engineers of intelligence. I mean, we're, we're looking at distinctive hallmarks of intelligent agency when we look at circuitry and code and information processing systems. I mean, this is what we're finding inside life. It's not what Darwin thought in the 19th century or his colleagues, Huxley, who said the cell was a simple homogenous globule of undifferentiated protoplasm. It's a new day in biology. Things are much more complex than people thought when they formulated these evolutionary ideas. There's a lot to talk about here. Sorry, that was a long answer. It was very long. It's very hard to keep up with you. But when you're, you're talking about this, this process and this very, first of all, I want to go back one step further. You were saying something about, and I'm paraphrasing, but whatever this intelligent thing is, creating us somehow or another in its image or somehow or another thinking the way it thinks. How, do you, how did you say that again? Yeah, this was this was the idea of the early scientists who got science going. It was the, the, the way they talked about it was the intelligibility of the universe. It was intelligible. Mm-hmm. It could be understood by us because our minds had been made in the image or likeness of the creator of the universe itself. Isn't it just possible that our minds are complex and curious? And so we're trying to figure out what all these things are and what, DNA is and what molecules and that we're trying to figure out the very fiber of existence itself. What 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 is it made out of? Wouldn't any curious, self-aware creature start to contemplate these things? And if it's if it really is an intelligent force that made us to think the way it thinks, why would it have war? Why would it have murder? Why would it have all the horrific crimes that we see, drug addictions? Why would it create us in a form like that? Yeah, I mean, there was a, I mean, the background of this, let's start with the first question, I'll get to the second question. It's equally profound and good question. The um, So, all right, so the first question was, um, he, he was talking about, like, we were created in God's image, right? Like, so he said, like, why, what did he say? He said, uh, why like, wouldn't it just be? Like why he said like, okay, so we're created in God's image. And, you know, the argument is that uh, creatures who are self-aware and who can contemplate that they are, you know, curious. And so therefore, like that shows that we're created in the image of God. Rogan says essentially, well, how do we not just know self-aware beings are just curious in and of themselves and are just doing their thing? This is a very <clears throat> weak argument on a lot of levels. This is a very weak argument that Rogan's presenting. The reason that, that it's a weak argument is it first and foremost assumes that we are just like every other animal because he lumps us all together in his statement. He basically said just any creature who's aware of itself does it not desire to contemplate. I wonder if Rogan knows what the term contemplate means because contemplate, according to like the classic definitions, are not referring to thinking. We kind of use them interchangeably in modern English, but that's and that's probably what he means by it. But contemplation is something that's unique to humans and angels. But here's oh. also his yeah, here's what's wrong with his argument. He essentially assumes that man or any other self-aware creature is just gonna be asking these types of questions, etc. That's absolutely false. Why do we not see animals conceiving of things like universal concepts of numbers, universal concepts of shapes, universal concepts of virtue, things along that nature? We don't language. see that. 
language exactly we don't see we see humans using language we see humans praying we see humans uh writing we see humans we can see animals create we can see animals use rocks as tools like very intelligent chimpanzees but we see that humans know how to break down tools and how to construct tools for very complex purposes aside from just banging something so humans have this ability which is so different and even just going back to the idea of conceiving of a universal concept like a square right we can know that when we're driving down the highway and we see a sign that's in the shape of a square that that's a square but that sign does not tell us the universal concept of squareness right it's not just unique to that square it's unique or excuse me it's 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 part of all of what we know as squareness, right? That inconceivable concept. How is it that we have deep things along the nature of memory? So I can think back upon the times when I've seen squares or seen anything, fill in the blank with that, whatever I'm saying. Animals don't have the ability to do this. Animals are just relying on instinct. Very, very, very basic instinct. Eat, survive, procreate. That's about it, right? Um, you see other slightly more, maybe we could say, um, benevolent tendencies in certain animals, like companionship, pack mentality, things like that. But you even get you not- even get um, communication, but not language. So, like, you'll get communication yeah. between whales and dolphins, communication, but that's not language. You'll get deep mourning for loss of their mm-hmm. young from elephants and orcas, right? You will get you'll get glimpses. Of, but and but the, but I would say to that that even that like those creatures are also part of this creation that is created in God's image, right? So you're going to see glimpses of of the divine in every in all of God's creation. So of course you will see that there are some higher level animals that are not quite human, but they still show some glimpses of what it means to to show like. I mean, I mean, an, an insect has absolutely no anything like the, the lower, even birds, like they have, you know, bird brains. That's why we say bird brain. But when you get into some of the. All when, controlled when you, by the government, apparently. <laughs> when you get into chimps, chimps have, are, you know, they're our closest relative DNA wise, right? They, they don't really. Language is a thing. So later in the episode, and I didn't cut the clip. They were talking about language, and Joe tried arguing that you know dolphins have language and whales have language. It's like no, 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 no. You like you can't. You have to realize that even even though humans in every culture have different language, the idea that the the basic structure of language is laid into the human brain, where it's like every single human civilization has poetry, mm-hmm. and they have the 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 a way to speak in past tense. Uh, and and like say like would that be and was there this and it's like that you can't get that through evolution like that is something in our mind where we have this ability to 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 reason right where an animal doesn't have the ability to contemplate their maker like that's mm-hmm. that's basically what you're saying like con- con- contemplation should be con- contemplating your origin story and that and that's the other thing like evolution is nothing but an origin story and i argue that in my talk like it is just an it is just an origin story because every for some reason every culture throughout all of human history there's something innate in us that we need to know where we came from it's just like we have to know where Mm -hmm. we came from so you have every culture that existed before our modern culture 
did this thing where they needed to know where they came from. So when you see the pyramids and you see all these temples and the Aztecs built these temples, the people today, they're like, well, what were these? What were the pyramids for? They were temples where they probably mm. sacrificed human beings to contact the gods because they had an origin story and they needed to know where they came from. Every human culture in existence has an origin story. And our modern culture is just trying to usurp the real origin story in Genesis for this nonsense science origin story. Yeah, we all desire to know exactly where we came from. And th- what's interesting is this, is that when the at least the presenter the 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 creationist presenter says that we're made in god's image what does that mean and this is again what fundamentally separates us from any type of other living being whether it be plants or animals is that we have an intellect and a will that's what it means to be made in the image and likeness of god that's it's very clear in aquinas very clear in augustine they take it very much so from aristotle's thought etc although aristotle's not going to necessarily use that exact language but he's going to get close um, you do kind of see in theology of the bodies and tinkering around with that. So that's, I think sometimes where some modern Catholics kind of fall into male and female being kind of like certain distinct expressions of the one God in some ambiguous places. That's all, that's all baloney because God doesn't have a body. Um, and there's wait, no what such you thing mean, as what do you a, mean by that? Wait, wait, dive into that a little, because I, I, I've always heard like, to me, the theology of the body was uh, it's it's like phenomenology, right? Like I've never really studied it much, but I've I've heard tra- traditionalists knock it and stuff, and I don't know what the arguments for and against it are. What do you what did you mean by that? Like wh- what's sure, nonsense yeah, about? There's... So theology of the body, first and foremost, let me preface this, and, and unless we have some hardcore JP two fans out there, what I mean when I say theology of the body, we first have to understand that theology of the body is a series of catechetical talks and lectures given by Pope John Paul II. These are not not by any stretch. Some of these things uh, pertain under like legitimate Catholic moral theology. Some of this is his opinion. So we have to kind of go in there with that brush of uh, nuance, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Go in there and, uh, and clean up and see if we can figure these things out. When it comes to certain issues, though, theology of the body has, in my personal opinion, this is the opinion of, I would say, most traditionalist style Thomists, And when I say traditional Thomas, I'm not saying like trads. I just mean Thomas who actually know what they're talking about. The problem is that you start to run into um, two main categorical errors. First, the first one is mainly in principles. So in like how we see man made in the image and likeness of God. The second one is in um, application um, of certain activities. Let's just put it that way. So when it comes to John Paul II's thought on um, the creation of man, or excuse me, not the creation of man, but man in the image and likeness of God, there seems to be this tendency where he seems very interested in talking about the divine uh, nature that all man possesses. Now, there is a certain way you can, of course, interpret this correctly, because every man who has existed, has existence, is made in the image and likeness of God. But where it starts to get tinkered around with is he starts to fall into this idea that man and woman, specifically in our bodies, starts to reflect the image and likeness of God. Now, he doesn't just come out and like straight up say like this is exactly, but he starts to kind of in the world of phenomenology saying we experience this reality of the difference in the sexes of body. You know, is there so not like all, all men when when talking about God, even men are almost the female because we receive from God, right? So a man when he's with his wife, 
that coming together in the marital act is the wife receiving the man. So when we receive grace from God, we're almost in a, in a feminine role receiving from God, like the seed of God's thought in our, in our being. Like, I know he, he uses some of that language, right? Yeah, no, he, he does. And um, he gets a lot of it actually from Gaudium and Spez because Gaudium and Spez actually puts a little bit of uh, that type of language in it. Um, and so there, there is some confusion there. When it starts to get really off track, in my opinion, is when you start to kind of get into the practical applications of this. So I'm going to try to make this as PG as I can, <laughs> to put it that way. Um, there are certain marital acts that are going to obviously be licit, and there's going to be certain actions which are going to be illicit. And when you go back, you read St. Alphonsus, you go back and you read old moral theology manuals, there's going to be some very explicit and very, I would argue, just common actions that are done today amidst married couples who probably don't know any better and aren't ill-intentioned that are not going to be um, licit morally. And, I, and I've tried to mentally argue these things, but I just don't see a way around this. Yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll explain this better. Okay, so if you look to theology of the body, they're basically their thesis is as long as it ends in a procreative act, pretty much everything is okay. As long as the, the final act ends in, in procreation, all bets are off, foreplay is great, fine. Where if you go back to St. Alphonsus, any kind of, um, uh, I mean, we call it sodomy for a reason, and I'm not. I'm talking oral and and others. Like Saint Alphonsus will tell you straight out, you cannot do this. Where yeah. John Paul actually makes allusions to like, as long as it's not, you know, as long as the end result is procreative, you're okay. Mm-hmm. And and I know I would disagree with even uh uh I think like Tim Gordon would fall on the more theology of the body end of that than i would you know because i've had conversations with him where i I, i'm pretty sure he would differ with me on that like look you don't want to i don't know it's it is a it is a touchy subject because you don't want to reveal too much especially for me i'm a married guy so anything i say is going to imply what my marriage is like so Mm -hmm. yeah no uh, best way to say is that when you look at it i think alphonsus has the upper hand and here's why we're not allowed to put ourselves into Um, or at least we're not allowed to put ourselves into occasions of sin, right? Without a just cause for it, right? So as an example, there can be just circumstances in which we put ourselves into occasion of sin. So technically speaking, the church says that courtship is an occasion of sin, but it's obviously necessary because obviously if there's no courtship, there's no marriage. And if there's no marriage, there's none us. And then why are we here? Um, But And the occasion of sin doesn't mean commit sin. It means Mm -hmm. possibility for it. Sure, yeah, but... If there's not a just cause for it, and I don't want to say this to make people scrupulous, right? So weigh your consciences with what I'm about to say. But it is not morally licit to willfully put ourselves into an occasion of sin when there's not a just cause for it, right? So as an example, uh, yes. He is a doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah, doctor of the church, and he's specifically the doctor in moral theology. And so his argument when it comes to these particular issues is there is very much so a, um, a a danger of sin because the end action is potentially going to be nipped in the bud, if you will, on not allowing procreative activities to take place. And I and that just makes sense. The only arguments that I've really ever heard in the opposite really just sound like some type of non-theological workaround to try to find an excuse to, to do certain actions. 
And I've just never been convinced of it. You have to you have to first start with the objective, and it just seems very loosey goosey when you go from there. Yeah, I, I, I saw uh, I saw my friend Kyle had a couple on that were opening like a Catholic sex shop and stuff, and he caught a lot of grief for that. <laughs> because heck, I've not even heard of this, but heck, no. Yeah, he had to take the video down because he caught a lot of flack for it. It's like, look there. You know what? I don't even want to get into all that. So, all right. So let's deal with the second question, which was the problem of evil, right? Mm-hmm. The problem of evil, which Joe, and, and I, and I'm going to say, so the, the name of the guy he had on, because somebody was asking, who is it that Joe Rogan is talking to? I have to say props to Joe Rogan for bringing this guy on, right? Sure. Like, like, honestly, this guy was giving a hard defense for Christianity. And I've never seen Joe bring somebody on that gives a serious defense for it. Like yeah. everybody he brings on, like he had, um, oh man, he had, he had one of his friends on and, uh, he like, everybody's afraid to give like a full throated defense for Christianity. This it, scientist, he, he was like, no, Joe, this is what this is. So let me just look up his name real quick. His name is, um, Stephen C. Meyer. And he, he does work at the, um, Kennedy texted me before and told me, um, Kennedy told me he works at the Discovery Institute. So if you want to find if you want to find his work, his name is Stephen Meyer. He works at the Discovery Institute. Um, So uh, he does handle the problem of evil well. Uh, You want to just hear what you want to hear his response, and then before we get to the next clip, sure. Yeah, let's see if let's see if you would give a variation and go a little bit deeper than he does. So. The, the historian, historians of science have asked a question. It's the why, why then, why their question. Hold on. Somebody's asked, telling me to have Kennedy on. I, Kennedy and I talk every single day. Kennedy is a very, very close friend. Kennedy has a hard time uh, uh, streaming at night. So, and I work during the day. So we're just trying to work out time. And Nick, you just were on uh, one Peter five with Kennedy. You met him for the first time, right? Yeah. Finally, finally met him for the first time in person, if not really in person, but at least no, like face to face on screen, face to face. One reason why Kennedy is so busy. And, and again, people in the chat don't, don't spread this around, but he is Batman. So we just gotta, <laughs> gotta, he's also, Batman. he's also one of my favorite people to talk to. He's such a genuine guy. Um, and I literally talk to him every day. It's just the timing. Like I work days and he's got six kids or five or six kids or something. So yeah, he's beating up criminals and modernists. <laughs> so we will work it out though. Like I'll definitely get him on. I, I, I promise you guys, me and Kennedy, we'll get Kennedy on. It's just a matter of working out the uh, scheduling. You guys just don't like We've me. I guess all- that's what it is. What'd you say? I said, I guess the audience, they just don't like me. They want a, they want a longer beard. To Let show me tell up. you something. You are one of the most requested return guests I've ever had. You and I Father don't... Isaac. Well, I don't know what I did, but uh, I appreciate it. Love you. Love you when, all. When are you leaving for, for the monastery? I leave in on Monday. So I got a couple days left. That's um, it? This coming Monday? Yeah. So I'll be gone for a whole month and I'll be shooting a documentary of me reading the whole Summa cover to cover. So, all right. So next Thursday. So my first video to hit 10,000 was Father Isaac. Father Isaac, I called him two nights ago and I'm like, Father Isaac, my first video hit 10,000. He goes, I haven't heard from you in a while. Where you been? I'm like, <laughs> like I didn't want to bother you. You know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to bother you. He goes, I saw your video. 
I'm like, what do you, what video? He goes, I saw you making the rounds. You gave a talk at the canceled priest conference. I watched it. <laughs> so anyway, he's coming to New York tomorrow. Yeah. So cool. he's flying into New York tomorrow and he's staying with his sister in, De- in Deer Park, which is literally 15 minutes from my house. I'm like, how long are you going to be here for? He's like a week. I said, Thursday night, you coming to my house for dinner. So he's coming to my house Thursday night for dinner. And then we're going to do an in-person interview on Thursday. Cool. So yeah. I'm so nervous to have Father Isaac at my house. <laughs> like, You're like, honey, we got to do a thorough clean. I'm like a thorough clean, Nicole. You're making dinner. You got to make sauce, meatballs. I'm like, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have Father Isaac over, and then he's gonna come down to my basement, and we're gonna hang down here. We're gonna have an in-person conversation. I'm extremely nervous about it, but I also know he's one of the most kind-hearted, gentle people I've ever known, and he's like, he, I have so much in common with him. Like he's a fellow New Yorker. He worked construction. I'm, I'm really not worried that it'll be, you know, whatever. But still, you know, it's. A, I've never met him in person. He's coming to my house for dinner. It was, I, I mean, I just shot my mouth. I'm like, you're coming here. Don't worry about it. He's like, I don't want to put you out. I'm like, you're coming. You're coming. So oh, all right, let's, let's get back to this. Let's see where we go with this. Uh, just to say that the people with a particular religious faith had a reason to pursue science that apparently uh, other cultures did not have to the same degree. Do we know that for a fact, though? Because there, there's a lot of evidence that we've lost some civilizations We've lost a lot of their knowledge. The burning of the Library of Alexandria. We we don't really know that much about what they knew. Obviously, they had some incredibly complex mathematics if they built the pyramids. We know that. We we know there had to be measurement. We know there had to be like some very complex jump. I mean, who is that? There's no way that's Michael Lofton. <laughs> we love you too, Mikey. We love you too. I actually said the I, I said the other day like. I don't want a problem. I would have Michael on. Like, I would have a conversation with anybody. So if that is Michael, Michael, you're more than welcome to come on. I'll talk to anybody. Like, I don't want any problems with any of the, any of the Catholics specifically. Like, I really don't. But I, I don't know if that's him. <laughs> In order for them to figure out how to do it correctly. Well, certainly there may have been other things. Wait, what did we miss? Uh, the only people that can do science once it gets going are people of religious faith. But it is to say that the people with a particular religious faith had a reason to pursue science that apparently uh, other cultures did not have to the same degree. So, okay. So what we missed there was, okay. So what he when, when Joe said, he's like, well, you know, isn't this just a natural thing that, that creatures that have the, the ability to contemplate would want to do this kind of research. And, and, and the, and Steven says something very right, which is you have, Egyptian culture, you have the Vikings, you have all these other cultures, and no, they never did science in the way we see it today. But what happens is, in the Middle Ages, you have, after after we do theology, because we do theology as the highest science for centuries, mm-hmm. but then in the Middle Ages, you start to get people who say, hey, we're created in the image and likeness of God. Part of that is intelligibility. So the world must have intelligibility so we can study the intelligibility of the world. And that is what starts the scientific process where we start to measure things and get the, and that is religion starts that the Catholic church specifically. So like so many of the scientific breakthroughs we have are from Catholic monks, especially because really the university system is started uh, within 
you know, within these monasteries, because that's they're the only people that are educated to read Latin, to copy these texts from ancient ancient manuscripts, things like that. And I, I don't think most, I mean, most Catholics know that, I think, but I don't think the majority of the world understands that we are the ones who started the scientific method. No, 100%. I don't even, I think that if people are ignorant of it, there's probably a reason it's going to go back to secular universities. They don't want this because secularism really is, it's on this old game of trying to separate God from all society. And so yeah. they, every time, every time you see a, a debate when it comes to like, even this, this debate, you could have easily seen this written up in the newspaper or put on YouTube, something like, you know, biology scientist debates person of faith you know Wait, Margo's making saying she didn't know that she goes i'm surprised anthony could stream without rob i meant in terms of technology Margo, i'm literally playing the audio from my phone right now <laughs> like i don't know how to do this we're barely streaming we'll put it down we're barely getting the audio through to you guys all right let's 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 finish do this. we know that for a fact though because there, there's a lot of evidence that we've lost some civilizations We've lost a lot of their knowledge. The burning of the Library of Alexandria. We, we don't really know that much about what they knew. Obviously, they had some incredibly complex mathematics if they built the pyramids. We know that. We, we know there had to be measurement. We know there had to be like some very complex geometry in order for them to figure out how to do it correctly. Well, certainly, there may have been other things that have gone on that we didn't know about and that were lost. The, the thing that uh, the only point I was making was that the people who got science going in the 16th and century, 17th century did so mm -hmm. for a discernible uh, religious sure. reason, if you will. And that's, that is just a, a fact of history. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean they were correct. Well, it, did, it does mean that they, they generated a very fruitful way of investigating nature. It certainly aided yeah. them. Yeah. And it, it, it probably motivated them in a lot it, of ways. It, do you hear his bias? Like, he doesn't hear his own bias. It's like, he's just... He's just giving a statement of fact, like this is what motivated the scientific revolution where we wanted to discover these. And he just he's like he's like pushing back against it because he hates the idea that religion could have done something good. Yeah, there seems to be this just underlying skepticism that just seems to be. And it reminds me of like cringe 1990s atheistic skepticism. It's just kind of like, but, but, but what it doesn't substantiate the existence of God. And I'm like, OK, how do you know what happened in the 1990s? You were born in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> there's these things behind me anthony i see them back there too you should check them out sometime <laughs> um, um but uh yeah no there just seems to be this tendency where so it's like for instance rogan's objection taken at face value is not necessarily bad it's that like okay just because a religious person investigates this doesn't he didn't say this but essentially substantiate that the there's the existence of god sure yeah like taken on its face Absolutely. But the way that it's addressed, the way that it's asked is very much so asked in the context of agnostic skepticism. It's it's like, well, it does. That doesn't prove that God exists. Yeah. Well, he never made that claim that God exists. He was just merely making the claim. He's, just, he, he's making the claim that the reason we started the scientific revolution was because these men, for the reasons we stated, they knew that God was an intelligible God and we were created. So I want to, I want to make sure we get to the arguments because I, I was a little upset with how lightly he went against the argument against evil. And I think you and I will slaughter his arguments against well, evil. Guided them in a lot of ways, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're correct in that assumption. No, it, 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 it no. I, and I wouldn't argue for the, the, uh, the correctness of a theistic worldview simply right. on the basis of the fruitfulness of science, but, it is a fact of history, I think, that a theistic worldview 
was a very important motivator for those early scientists who did get science going, and that science did turn out to be very fruitful. So, Which is probably a very good point. I have, I have, to I have other arguments atheists. for theism. No, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. But for people that are atheists, yeah. you know, that widely dismiss religion as being silly. Like you? Or, or, an, or anti-science. Right, anti-science. You know. But it's literally probably the birth of science, as far as we know in the Western world. Yeah, I, I, I know you've had, you know, uh, Neil Tyson on your show, yeah. you know, and he, he makes this claim that Newton's science... Uh, was a dead end, or Newton's religious beliefs led to didn't lead to any good questions. They were a dead end. Uh, he had great scientific insights, but his religion was was bad news for science. But uh, uh, it turns out Newton didn't make the God of the Gaps argument that Tyson accused him of making, and many other people have accused. And uh, it was his greatest work, the, the Principia, the, his work on gravitation, was meant to dis, to display. It was partly a religious project. He was trying to to demonstrate the principles, the mathematical harmony that had been built into creation by the creator. I don't know if I even recorded that much. Um, all right. So the arguments of evil, he basically like lightly touches on. I think the greatest argument for um, against evil is, I mean, he just gets into like free will and stuff like that, which. Which is good, but you know what? Maybe it's this next clip. Let's see. So why, again, back to the other question. Why did God create war? Why does God create murder? Why does God create all the the horrific things we see in the news? School shootings. Why would God create a mind that acts in that way? Well, I think the the traditional theistic answer to that is the free will defense. It's not that God created those things. He created free agents knowing that it was better to create free agents who had the ability to choose and therefore to choose uh, to love him or not or love each other or not than it was to create puppets. But with that decision to create free moral agents, there was also the risk that people would use that freedom for uh, uh, to exploit others and how to harm you, others. Sorry, so, how do you react to the argument of determinism then in the, in the face of this uh, argument that God created free will? Uh, unpack that a little for determinism. me. Determinism. Yeah. The, the, the concept that, the, like, when you see someone who's in jail, yeah. say he made a bad decision and he went to jail. Right. But if you go back through that person's life, you go through their... their the, the Oh, right, right. Yeah, their life, the childhood, the horrific traumas, all the abuse they've suffered, in and out of the justice system at a very young age, surrounded tragic, by crime. Tragic stuff. Yeah, right, exactly. it's not yeah. a free will issue. How is it not a free will issue? How it, it, it like Joe's not thinking back to the generations of free will before that, like like Joe Joe almost is implying like well if there's a god then everybody should have an equal playing field when they're born, and, and he's he's yeah. not grasping like he thinks of material goods as the only good. It's like sometimes the greatest saints grew up in the most insane poverty under the most horrific conditions so it's it's just really a lack of understanding holiness at all and what what sanctity is at that point i would think yeah so he starts off i i would probably if i was asked if i was there i would first ask him what he means by evil because there seems to be a bit of an ambiguity when it comes to that term just like so many terms in english but evil at least according to like saint thomas is going to be uh, the privation or the lack of good. That's just what it is. So evil is not like this thing put up next to good, like evil versus good. It's like there is a certain, you know, 
accidental truth in that, but the strict truth is that evil is just the privation of a good. So it's it's here's the example. We could uh, say in a certain sense that this show has suffered an evil because Rob's not here tonight, right? Because <laughs> we can say that, right? Because Rob's not here and he's good. And so therefore, because we're deprived of that, this show has incurred a certain evil. Another example would be something like um, if someone was to lose their sight, right? We could say that that person has incurred an evil upon their body. And then, of course, when we ask questions like, okay, um, you know, or when we look and say someone shot somebody and murdered. Can is, this, he- is this a, is this like it's just a Joe Rogan joke or something? Did I actually say I would do edibles on screen or something? This, <laughs> I, don't I think, think I ever said that. <laughs> I would well, if it know, made the channel grow. But no. <laughs> you know, you know, I've not watched every episode of Avoiding Babylon, but to be honest, it wouldn't. It kind of wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I might say something like that as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. Um, but like, okay, so then when we get up to like moral evil, like someone kills another, we can say yes, that is evil because you've deprived somebody of their life. So we have to recognize that evil is going to be the privation of some good. So then when we, when then we have to ask the question: Why would God allow any type of privation of good? Aquinas's answer, which he gets from Augustine, is just going to be that when you look at it at the end of the day, it's going to come back down to uh, to the reality that God can bring greater good out of evil. But then, too, also coupling with that, I would make the argument because I don't know if he states this. I don't. He doesn't state this in the Summa. Is we have to recognize that our perception of good and our perception of evil is going to be finite. Right. So we can add that on top of that argument. We can say, well, God can bring a greater good that we maybe do not even understand or is capable. And a good does not necessarily mean our pleasure. That's the problem. It seems that Mr. Rogan is viewing goodness through this lens of I don't want to say this in a belittling sense, but like hedonistic pleasure. Yeah. In the sense that what good means is it means a lack of suffering. But who makes the determination first and foremost what is good and what is evil? Because oftentimes when they say, Well, why if God exists? Why would evil or yeah, if God existed, why would he allow evil? I'd say, well, are you more moral than God? Like, where is this tendency within you to say, I hate evil? Where does that come from? And if it comes from nothing more than evolved primordial soup, then it doesn't really. I think by evil, he means suffering. That's his his understanding of evil, right? Like, why does it, why does a child end up with unfair cancer and things like that? Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, Let's let's get to this one because this is the one I really this is the best one I think. Okay. Like this this one is the best one where I think we're gonna have the best conversation from. You vary with the environment and the amount of resources and stress and the, the dangers. I, like like for instance, I think it's Pinker's work where he talks about uh, hunter gatherer tribes that relatively frequently kill the older women because they just can't keep up anymore and they're nomadic and they, they get in the way and so they try to catch them when they're not looking it's a great example because it actually illustrates the, the the deeper uh universality of the moral the the, the deeper moral principles right uh, even even cultures that were involved in child sacrifice they had they had belief systems that suggested that if they sacrificed the children then the crops would come in and it yes. would benefit the, the, the tribe as a whole. Right. So the underlying value was the preservation of life, even though they had a, they had a moral 
there more, there's a difference between a moral judgment and a moral principle. They made a moral judgment that this is what was necessary to affirm the underlying moral principle. Now, I would argue they had a false worldview that suggested that this was necessary, but because they believed right. that, that idea about the need to sacrifice children to the gods, they made a moral judgment that differed from one that I would make or you would make, but they did in the process actually affirm a deeper moral principle that, that is the, the value of human life. Right, but the question is, where did that idea even come from to well, sacrifice a child? Well, that came from, you know, that came from their, their mythological right. you know, religious belief. Where did that the, come from? The, the, the more, I think the more, question, the more important question is, where did the underlying moral... moral See, this is, uh, we're going we're gonna to actually continue to play this clip because where Joe says, well, where did that come from? Uh, and I, you know what? Maybe in a couple more seconds, he says what I'm... Where did the principle come from? And why is that universal? And on what basis can we justify it as a universal ought rather than just a statement of fact? But does it exist in a person who's sacrificing a child? That universal moral principle seems to have been completely abandoned if you're sacrificing a child for some reason that you cannot prove, that it's somehow or another going to influence something according to whatever your beliefs are that's going to make the crops come back. Oh, I agree with you. I think, I think something very deep and profound has to be overwritten, but I think that is the, the role that, um, uh, I say, a religious belief system can can play not in that situation their religious belief system allowed them to do it and in fact and probably encouraged them it, well that's what that's exactly what i'm saying that that religious belief system overrode the intuition that they would normally right. have based on the underlying moral principle why do they have that religious belief system if god is going to present religious beliefs if god is going to somehow or another come down and give wisdom to men why why do some have this very fucked up version of it? Ooh, sorry, yeah, I can't guys. answer that. <laughs> so that's where I wanted to get to. Why do some cultures have if God is going to reveal himself, why do some cultures get this messed up religion? I like I can't even believe what he's saying. Mm. Because some religions are false, Joe. And because if God is real and, and the angelic realm is real, there's the demonic realm also. And there are demonic realms trying to lead people to false religions. And there are tons of false religions out there, especially the modern religion where you see, you see it happening before. Like there's something I've said it on the show before, like man was made to worship. And you can see that throughout all of human history. Every color, like there, you really, you get such a great understanding of that when you read um, Chesterton's, um, uh, what is it? Chesterton's book on something man. Uh, you know any Chesterton books? No, I'm a strict Thomas. So I live in the world of manuals and stuff like that. So, so, so Chesterton talks about how, like, when you really go back and you look, and they and they talk about like, these cavemen and you know, uh, Cro-Magnon man, and he's like, yeah, there's 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 all these things that he because he's, he's this is at the time of Darwin, and they're trying to play with evolution and stuff. He goes, the one universal you can know is if you see cave drawings, those are humans because only humans have religion and there's something about human beings where we have to worship. Like we are homo liturgicus. And what Joe is describing here is why, well, if God's really the one revealing religion, then why are these people getting this messed up religion? Because God didn't reveal that religion to them. Something else revealed that religion to them. The way God revealed religion to us is through 
the Davidic covenant, through the Mosaic covenant, through the Noah co- Noah's covenant, and through the through the New Covenant. Like that's how God actually reveals Himself to us through covenants throughout the history of man. Yeah, I think probably uh, the other individual, the scientist, he's uh, approaching everything from a very philosophical place, which is good, right? Because he knows that Rogan is not going to be converted by just quoting the Bible at him, right? Right. Now, I'm not saying that to denigrate the Bible. The Bible is, according to itself, right, the word of God. It is is the sword of the spirit. It is truth. And I think the Catholics need to have a, a higher devotion and a higher study of scripture overall. But what we have to understand is when we're talking to the unbeliever who doesn't believe in the scripture, I know I really should. I really should. Especially uh, the everlasting man. The everlasting man is a really, really good book. He has, he has such great quotes in it. He's like, alone amongst the animals. Uh, oh, man, I got so many good Chesterton quotes. I just can't remember them off my head. But he's, he says something like, he's like, so no, no, no creature could create something as, as beautiful as a drink and as monstrous as a drunk. Right, like only humans can make a cocktail that's like amazing, or just to sip a cocktail, and it's monstrous as a drunk. Like that is the play between being a human being. Like you can go to do something so beautiful, and then go to do something so horrific like that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good quote. I like that. Uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's doing um, all of that from the perspective of philosophy, and this again goes back to that tractate Revelazione. Now, without trying to bore you guys with a bunch of deep scholasticism, this is essentially how I would ad- address Rogan's point. First, I'd agree with you. I'd say when we look at man, every civilization has been religious, and when we ask and and let's ask that question that Rogan kept asking, why? Right? We ask why cause and effect. This has to come from something, from something as intelligent and complex as religion has to come from some being who is complex and intelligent. When we look at all regions of the world, every man is going to be religious in some form or fashion. Now, how do we know? uh, Why would God allow false religion, right? What he uses the language, Rogan uses the language of why does he like come down and reveal the truth, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, again, it's like, did you listen to the earlier point that he made on free will? There's the reality of free will that has to take place. And then this is where we get the idea of sin, that there is going to be a privation of good, that there's going to be something which is against reason. All sin is against reason. So, Rogan, you're 110%. The random case that someone shows you this clip, you're 110% (laughs) correct that things like child sacrifice is wrong. I'm glad, right? You see that that's wrong, right? Carry that. The idea that he even says it's wrong. Yeah, carry that over to abortion and then we'll keep going here. But um, but so you agree child sacrifice is wrong, but why is it wrong? Why do you think on a natural level you just hearing that and thinking that through that that's wrong? It has to come from somewhere. If you say it comes back to primordial soup, then it's an error. You're you're exactly right. It has to be a natural law. I don't think he used he didn't use that term, the scientist, um, but there is a natural law that is implanted inside of all of us to where I really liked his his analogy actually, where it's like even if we're pursuing a good because of sin, we might misuse it, but you still see that the end result is intended in some type of good, which is fascinating to think about. And that's where you can then bridge off into the reality of the gospel, the reality that man is a creature creating the image and likeness of God, fallen, wounded, and it takes ultimately the greatest act of evil, the murder of God, yeah. to bring about the greatest of goods. And that's, uh, of course, something you have to work up with, I think, in that type of conversation. But I always just want to go back to people who say, well, why would a God allow this evil? 
You admit that it's wrong. You, you see that there's a problem with suffering. But why? If there's not a God, there's really no strict reason for you to care. You know yeah, it's like, it, look, if there's no God, Nietzsche was right. Yeah. Like, honestly, if there's no God, Nietzsche was right. Like, it's like, if there's no God and there's no consequence to anything, go live the most selfish existence you possibly can because in the end none of it matters like mm-hmm. literally go and do whatever makes you feel good because mm-hmm. there will be no judgment no death you will literally one day you'll die and it'll be a lot like it was before you were born and nothing matters but if there is a god th- did you ever read um uh uh, C- uh c.s lewis's um mere christianity mm-hmm. yeah great book the, so so the in the first two chapters he goes into um human nature like like uh the natural law right mm-hmm. like uh i think he calls it uh uh i think he calls it natural law but it's like like even when 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 you when you it's so funny like the atheists like when you're arguing with atheists i love throwing this at them it's like well, where do you get the idea that there even is a such thing as right and wrong like if this is a human concept like, oh, well, this is a social thing that like, so like they argue that for sex, right? They're like, they argue it for gender. This is a social construct. So if all these social constructs can be overturned, why can't I be racist? No, like, exactly. There, there's some, very <laughs> why large, do I have to not hate somebody? There's some very large illogical leaps that they have to make. There's, there's a, I can't necessarily recommend this individual's theology, but there's a, there's uh, a, a Calvinist out there by the name of Jeff Durbin, who does a lot of good debates, especially with atheists, with Mormons, etc. He was doing a debate uh, recently with an atheistic humanist uh, on the subject of morality, and he asked them, I think it was the question of, and again, I'm trying to make this light for YouTube, but let's just say a man forcing himself on a woman against her yeah. will, uh, yeah. is that objectively wrong? And the, the atheist says, yes. Well, actually, it's not objectively wrong. It's culturally subjectively wrong because we as a culture make it wrong. And then, so he goes down this list. He's like, so Ted Bundy's not wrong. All of these types of abusers aren't wrong. You could in, in, extrapolate that to murder, you know, yeah. mustache Hitler. man isn't wrong. Yeah. All, these <laughs> like, all these things aren't wrong. And this is where I get back to. If there is not a God, then you can't say that any type of suffering or evil is truly objectively always evil. Especially yeah. with modern science, we know that, for instance, psychopaths, right, sociopaths, but especially psychopaths, right, they take pleasure in inflicting pain on others. Well, if suffering is the greatest of evil in Mr. Rogan's world, which is understandable, but then it's like, okay, the psychopath says, I relieve suffering by creating suffering. It's my form of pleasure. Who is to say he's objectively wrong? Now, the liberal might come along and say, well, uh, it's wrong because you're enforcing yourself upon that other person. But who makes the determination to say everything is licit except when you are doing it against someone's will? Who makes that determination? The society? Well, if it's the society, you can't objectively say that other societies who don't follow that framework are wrong. You're always having to appeal appeal up to some type of universal norm, universal law, universal objective reality universal human law right Mm -hmm. there's this universal moral principle that all human cultures have had throughout all of human history now that that doesn't mean there aren't variations in certain things but like like uh uh, c.s lewis says he goes imagine a culture where cowardice is celebrated yeah where a man abandoning his family and running off would be celebrated as a good like i like you could you, you we have our culture now where that happens all the time and people will 
I mean, we actually have a culture now where we celebrate a man who used a, a wife as a beard and leaves his wife for another man. That will be celebrated. Like we're in the times where good is called evil and evil. Is even, but, even just flip, even flip Lewis's analogy. We celebrate when a woman leaves the man. 110% all the time. 80 plus percent of divorces are initiated by women. I'm not here to trash women, but this is just the reality. And what do we see society do? You go, girl. Do you your go, thing. girl. You don't, you don't live your new life. life. You so, deserve this. You deserve that. It's actually a preposterous thing that, but, but it's really like, it's a very, it's a very modern thing to think like that because there was, there was a time where the culture would have shamed you for doing something like that, where it was like, but you have to really think about, the people you admire in your life. Like we could pretend we look up to that as a culture and people could pretend, Oh no, she's just doing her and things like that. But in reality, the people you admire are the, the ones who sacrifice themselves for others, because that's a universal print because the meaning of life is the cross, right? Like the meaning of life is there's no greater love than this. Anyone who lays their life down for a friend, that is the greatest love. Like that is the meaning. So the cross Laying down your life as a sacrifice is the meaning of life. And it's the thing that will bring meaning to your life. And it's like, even um, I know people who aren't even Christian who will do things. My father-in-law, my father-in-law, like he's nominally Christian, but mm -hmm. I've never known a man to uh, sacrifice himself for his daughters. Like he does, like he on a natural level is one of the, he's a Christ figure in my life, even though he doesn't know that's what he is you know so it's like i can admire a guy like that because i see when my my wife needs something he's the first to jump into action to lay his life down as a sacrifice for his daughter but that's what we naturally look up to and admire you don't look up and admire the man who abandons his family and goes and starts a new one and never never does anything for his former yeah, exactly. You, you're absolutely right. You have to get to a certain amount of brainwashing and gaslighting to get to the point where you're like, yeah, you go, girl, you know, get rid of that man. You don't need him. And it's such a sad reality. But that is what I mean, you just think about it, Anthony, 50, 60 years ago, you would have been considered insane at the thought of two dudes getting married. You would have been looked at for insane. And the reality is, that is insane because you can't bear children. It's against the natural order. This universal natural reality that we're talking about, it's insane. But let's all be honest. Even those of us who are the most devout, because we're so surrounded by a society of secularism, there's a tendency within all of us to kind of just like push it to a certain portion of our brain where we're like, okay, yeah, I don't believe in it. I don't accept it. But like I live in this society, it is what it is, whatever, right? You kind of just kind of become a practical laissez-faire libertarian about it. But the reality is there is ins like true insanity going on everywhere around us. Like we're talking about not just sins that are more natural to man. I use that natural in the like subjective sense. But we see sins that are so abnormal to nature itself being accepted as natural. But if those things are accepted as natural, then what is nature? That's the problem. They can the atheists and the secularists can never give you a, a strong, true, universal norm. So I have a story that I want to tell that I was going to tell on the local show after this. So which I am going to do. What we're going to do is me and Nick are going to talk for about another twenty minutes publicly, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to set a private stream on YouTube because I don't have Rob here and I can't do a locals. 
I'm going to create a private stream and I'm going to post the link to our locals. So if you're a locals member, you'll be able to hear this story because it's going to be a private video and I cannot tell it publicly on YouTube. So it's going to be on a private, a private stream that, you know, if you guys are still around, you want to hear it, you have to join our locals to catch it. Um, but it was something to do with this, that it was something in my, in my family that was so unnatural that I had to speak my mind on it. And it led to a, a big blowout. Let's just put it that way. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if I can fire. So before me and Nick get off, I'm going to set up a private stream. I'll post the link to our locals. If you guys want to join our locals, you'll get to hear the story. Um, we're going to play one more clip. Uh, and this is the one that deals with scripture. And this is the one that frustrated me the most. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to that right now. And we'll see. I, I think Nick's going to say the same thing. Um, a restoration of, of all things. How do you reconcile with the reality that the Bible is written down at least by human beings and that human beings are generally unreliable? Um, at least in, in terms of 100% accuracy and also inclined to manipulate each other, especially when they're in control of large groups of people and also inclined to appease the instincts and the desires and needs of their followers. So they create texts that resonate with the people and develop a philosophy that resonates with the people. And if they say that it comes from God itself, who, especially if it resonates, especially if it makes sense, and maybe perhaps... Wait till you hear how bad the response is, Nick, because this is frustrating, right? This is really frustrating. Wait till, worst arguments I've heard in a while. Wait till you hear the response, because I was really upset about the response. It is in some way from God, because it is coming from this divine inspiration. But how do we know? When something's written down, and also we're, we're translating it, right? We're translating it from <sighs> this Aramaic, from ancient Hebrew, mm -hmm. and goes into latin and greek and there's a lot how cringe is this it's like it's so frustrating going on there and yeah. then eventually to english and there's a lot of room for interpretation um let me give a general answer and then come back to the specific challenge okay um maybe even a caveat first uh the books that i've written have been advancing the theory of intelligent design the first was signatures in the cell about the origin of life the second was about the question of the origin of the first animals called Darwin's doubt. The third was about the worldview implications of the theory of intelligent design. Um, I happen to be a believing biblical Christian. I believe the Bible's witness. Not, I just need to say that not all proponents of intelligent design hold my viewpoint about religious matters. And it'd be unfair to them for me to answer the question without making that proviso because I'm also here representing those books and those arguments. So, I understand. yeah, so I just want to, uh, we actually have some uh, agnostic proponents of intelligent design and even an atheistic philosopher who's inclined towards thinking there must be some intelligent design. So, um, uh, um, so, and then secondly, your question about motivation, your, your, your question embedded an interesting insight about motivation, that we have confirmation bias, we have all these, mm -hmm. these things. And in this basic discussion about God between, say, the, the new atheists who aren't so new anymore and, and people who are on our side of the worldview divide, there's a tendency to point fingers about motivations. Oh, you religious people believe this stuff because it gives you comfort. And the religious argument to the atheist is so you 
atheist materialists, you disbelieve because it gives you moral freedom and you don't have to be accountable to a, mm. a, a moral judge. And I think in each person, there's that push-pull. There's motivations to believe, there's motivations not to believe. And one of the benefits of philosophical training is the uh, attempt, at least, to extricate debates from that, those motivations. You know, th that's essentially, they're essentially ad hominem arguments and try to avoid those as much as possible on both sides. Um, so um, that's why I've developed the case for God in the last book based on key evidences that are public and commonly accepted across the worldview division. You know, the universe had a beginning. It was finally... So he doesn't even get into scripture. So my, my point is, Joe Rogan asking that, he is someone who has never read scripture. Like, Joe, you're, you're making these arguments because you've heard other people say them. You've heard people you think are smart say them. This is something like Sam Harris would say. And when, whenever they talk about the translations, they're like, well, this was translated from Hebrew. When you think the accurate, the translation is accurate. Do you understand what scripture is? Scripture mm -hmm. is a book that was written by dozens of authors over 6,000 years. And it's a story. So you go through and you really do get into, and you say, well, if God is real, what would he do? Would he choose to reveal himself? How would he choose to do that? So God makes a series of covenants. The, the, the first five books of the Bible are written by Moses. Moses writes them down, not making them up. He writes them down because they're an oral tradition that has been passed down for a couple of thousand years. And when you, and when people hear that, they're like, oh, well, how could the moral tradition, the oral tradition be, be, you know, um, how can you trust it? Because mm -hmm. oral tradition in some ways was even better than written tradition back then, because it was these series of stories that were told to people. And this is how they identified themselves as a people. So in some ways, the oral tradition would outlast the written tradition because a written tradition, a book could get burned. And now all of a sudden you don't have it anymore. So how would you handle that question? Yeah, honestly, Rogan's arguments are, are, are honestly just so old and so antiquated. They're not good anymore. Yeah. Like these arguments have been addressed so long ago. If, if the argument is really going to be, well, it was written down, a man wrote it down, therefore it's wrong. I'd say, well, is that statement true? Because a man said it like, I mean that you could, you could write that in a book and I'd say, is that true? <laughs> that if man writes something down, that's automatically suspect. So to assume that because it's written down, that means that it's potentially false is a fallacy. But then to continue on and say, well, that was written down so that it could appease the religious sentiments of the people. First off, that's classic textbook modernism, number one. Wait, wait, wait. What, what is Jacob Hogg saying I'm wrong about? What am I wrong about the oral, the accuracy of oral tradition? You'll have to. Am I wrong on that? Because we'll, uh, you'll have to elaborate. I guess we'll. we'll yeah, you'll have out. to elaborate on that because I don't think I am. I think the oral tradition, especially back then, was very reliable. Like these are stories that these people would tell every single day to one another. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Nick. No, you're good. Um, his second argument that these are these stories are written down to appease and to control man. First off, two problems. Number one, 
to say, oh, to control men, you're implying that there's some type of immoral reality. But we've already discussed previously, can you really objectively say that's wrong if there's no God, right? Who, who cares if someone's writing something down to, to try to control somebody, right? If there's no objective re- reality uh, of, of eternal eternal magnitude. The second problem in that is to assume that the text is going to be appeasing man's sentiments. Well, last time I checked, the scripture is giving commands here, there, and everywhere that fly in the face of all of our fallen desires. That's one of the most preposterous things, especially when you get into the Gospels, is this idea that the disciples wrote down what they wrote down so to, that they could control, control people. Like, think, first off, no, they instead of controlling people, they got murdered. Yeah, like they all was, got martyred. So what what, they were writing this book to control people, hoping in, in 500 years that people will be able to use this book to control people. Yeah, what was the temporal? It, this is one of the greatest proofs for the truth of Christ and for the truth of Christ's message in the apostles. What was Christ's, what, what temporal benefit did Christ gain? Did he gain money? Did he gain a palace? Did he gain lots of wives? He didn't get any of that. Did the disciples get any of those things? No, they all got the same reality. They all preached a message that was very anti your personal selfish desires and live a very ascetic lifestyle. That's not something that's attractive, especially to a hedonistic world, right? That's just flowing in debauchery. Um, I'm going to tell you something. I think this might be the guy I was arguing with on Twitter today. Oh, really? <laughs> I think he might be. Jacob, are you Are you the guy? I mean, you were, you were having the tip on Twitter today? Because if you are, I'd, I'd invite you on. We could talk about this. <laughs> um. um but yeah, so he he says those two. And then what was the last thing he said? It was something like, oh, it, the translation. The translation yeah. thing is so ridiculous. We have, okay, let's just get rid of translations for a second. We have over five to 6,000 extant Greek manuscript copies of the New Testament, some of which go back to the second century. Um, okay, well, that's good to know. So wait, wait, what, what, what do you say to this? So he says, we have very strong evidence to show that there were originally two competing stories to Israel's origin narrative that were synergies in the Babylonian exile. So um, would that account for the two different Genesis stories, the two different creation accounts? Yeah, I want to see maybe if he could elaborate a little. Yeah, bit. I, would, I would have to. I mean, I honestly, I've never heard that. So if, if it's if it's correct, I I mean, I I'm, think you know. I know what he might be referring to, but elaborate for me just so that I'm not answering something you're not asking. Yeah. So the translation thing. Yeah, translation thing. So we have over five. This this is essentially what Muslim apologists will say when it comes to the the credibility of the New Testament. They'll say, well, if there's so many translations and there's so many corruptions that take place over time, so therefore we can't. Because in Islam, the Quran is not just the word of God, but it's the word of God down to the letters. They place a great importance on the letter. That's why you see Islamic men, they memorize the entire Quran. And it has to be in Arabic, right? Like Arabic yeah. is a holy language for them. Yeah, I, I know another religion that used to have a holy language, and it really been, <laughs> but uh, I guess not anymore. Um, um, we, <laughs> I still think my all-time favorite moment whenever the Francis papacy is over is to remind people of the time on Twitter where he, he said, if you don't pray, send your good vibes. I was just like, I've seen it all now. <laughs> that uh, my favorite tweet of Francis ever is the middle finger tweet. 
the middle <laughs> finger of honesty. It was like he literally said he was going through all the fingers. He's like the thumb is this finger, and and when he got to the middle finger, he goes the middle finger is the middle finger of honesty. And I just started giving everybody the finger emoji. <laughs> I'm like I'm just following the Pope. I'm being oh, obedient. Brother. That was my favorite Francis tweet. Somebody actually made uh, my friend Jeff on Twitter made his name Jeff the middle finger of honesty. <laughs> Uh, that's 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 a beauty right there but yeah no we have over five thousand extant greek manuscripts right of the new testament if we didn't have any of those we have tens of thousands of syriac old latin so pre like pre ecclesiastical latin trans, uh, copies we have dozens and do- we obviously have a massive hebrew and greek tradition with the old testament we have so much manuscript evidence. In fact, the, according to according to secular sources, the amount of texts that we have of the Bible dwarf any other type Anything. of ancient literature. I mean, well, well, it- also because almost all of the ancient literature that made it through to today only made it through to today because of Catholic monks copying those manuscripts. But what we really found was in the um, the Dead Sea Scrolls was confirmation that our our translations were accurate because we found so we had all these manuscripts from you know the third century fourth century and and people were like oh you know how can we know that these were accurate translations and then all of a sudden we find the dead sea scrolls and the translations were meticulously copied over from previous to the first century ad you know because the dead sea scrolls i think are from the from the the essene community which existed in the first century bc yeah they were the they were the stricter versions of the pharisees i don't know if you've looked looked into the essenes but they make the pharisees look like a bunch of hedonistic you know sinners if you will yeah the the essenes a a little fun fact the essenes did not think that the sacrifice in the temple was valid so they celebrated the passover with bread and wine they Mm -hmm. also followed a different calendar than the uh, the Jews of the of the days of Jesus. So what happens is Jesus is following the Essene calendar and celebrates the Passover the day before or the or two on Wednesday night he celebrates the Passover. So when when in John's Gospel you you hear that Jesus is crucified on the Passover, but then in the Synoptic Gospels you hear that Jesus is celebrating the Passover in the upper room. So it seems like that, like, so people will bring that up and say, well, this is a contradiction and and scripture doesn't line up. No, it does because Jesus is celebrating the Passover according to the Essene calendar with bread and wine, because they don't believe the temple sacrifices are valid. So there's no lamb to be sacrificed because the Holy of Holies isn't there. Like the, 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 um, the Ark of the covenant isn't there. So the Holy of Holies, it's an invalid sacrifice. So Jesus is celebrating on you know with according to the Essene calendar then in John's gospel we find out that Jesus is crucified on the passover according to the calendar that the Jews of of the of the day were celebrating where they were celebrating with the passover lambs and things like that so that's a little fun fact for you guys that's pretty cool yeah but yeah no it, all of these arguments that Rogan uses all three of them that I've just outlined they're all just very very weak um no i no actually i was going to give props Props to Rogan for being one of the, I would say it's the best in the sense that he is willing to invite on so many people from so many diverse perspectives. He's grown a lot when it comes to this because he used to be very, a little bit more hard nosed on who he had on and it's opened up a lot. Like he, I remember 
uh, like a year ago or something, he said like he would never have RFK Jr. on, but he's had RFK Jr. on. He says that he wouldn't have Trump on. I personally think he's probably going to by the but before the election happens. Uh, I think that there's a good chance of that happening. But when it comes to these issues, all of these arguments are just very old, very, very weak. I would say maybe new new atheist arguments. They're all very easy to, to debate, to understand. They don't take a lot. I mean, I'm 25. I'm not a, a whiz kid or anything like that. And they're just very, very easy to debunk. Yeah, it's like uh, they're all these stale arguments. So many people get these arguments from the four horsemen of the, you know, like the, the Dawkins and the Sam Harris's. And the, whenever I hear somebody throw out the sky daddy argument i'm just like dude do you not have an original thought in your head like have you never pondered anything on a philosophical basis like i used to even before i like even before i had my reversion i remember always like thinking deeper about the meaning of like like why like why why is it that like like (laughs) why is it that like it's always hard to do the right thing it's like like okay so Working out is a hard thing to do, but it's the most beneficial thing to do. It's like, but also that works in the spiritual life too. Like the harder thing to do is always the beneficial thing to do. It's like, why mm-hmm. is life that way? That like these are the philosophical things that every human being should ponder. No. Yeah. No. Fully agree. Fully agree. Should we trans transition over to the local stream so we can? Uh... All right. So yeah. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna wrap this version up. I have to figure out how to make a private link. I might have to ask Rob. Like, like from the stream yard, can I do we, a private we have, video? You have incurred an evil on this stream. There is a lack of good. I'm asking you. So it, it, from <laughs> hey, stream hey, yard, can I set a private video? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I'm not entirely sure, but I would assume so, yes. I think that they're probably... Let me is. take a look while we're on air. Let's see. Let's go to StreamYard and let's see. <laughs> I have to be able to do this because... Wow. Margo, says, Margo says we can. I trust Margo. I think Margo's probably right, one of the... So let's create... ...out there. Live stream. In studio, let's go to... She does it every, every month for... Matt. Oh, I can. I can set it to... Okay, so unlisted you're you're now seeing everyone a boomer figure everything out unlisted we're gonna make this the locals uh, we're doing this on air so that the 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 link is like ready to go so someone someone clip this exact scene and then send it to rob in a private dm <laughs> what happens when you're not on the stream <laughs> all right let's see uh no anthony is not gen x I think he's like he's like I think he's like what is it like silent I'm right on the I'm, or something I'm right on the uh cusp of millennial like I am the the last of the millennials so let's see uh 10 we're going to set it for first in the millennials you mean 10:45 p.m. This guy thinks he was born in 1994 the last of the millennials what is he talking about All right about? so all right so I just said it Okay, so now I'm going to go to the Bellum generation. I think that I think that's being generous. I think he might be a little bit older, maybe like pre antebellum time period yeah. or something. <laughs> he has got nerve. <laughs> he, like, he like hung out with George Washington, said hi to Lord Cornwallis as he was sacking New, <laughs> sacking New England, New York. <laughs> All right, so let's see my history, my videos. Let's see. Wait, 
don't even know how I'm going to get the link. Let's see. Born in 95. Uh, you would be the beginning of Gen Z. Very beginning. I think Gen Z is like 95, 96, somewhere in there. I think it's technically somewhat subjective, but it's all the way till 2010. That's when Gen Z is over. So, yeah, I'm Gen Z. I'm 98. So, 90s get my not by uh, culture, I guess. So, all right. So, I'm cu- all right. So, me and Nick are going to end this. And if you guys are part of our locals, you guys will hear a pretty crazy story. It's going to start in four minutes. I'm going to post the link to it in the locals. I hope that you get, first off, forget even like just hearing this story, like because you don't even actually have to pay. Because if I post it in the locals, anybody can see it and you guys could just subscribe to locals without paying yet. But like you guys should be supporting shows that you enjoy. Like you guys have stuck around for an hour and 40 minutes with us. It's not easy to put these shows together. So I'm going to ask you guys if you guys are regular viewers. To I mean, it's five bucks a month and it could give Rob and I the ability to like I have to go to work tomorrow. I'm waking up at five in the morning to go to work. I could stop working Saturdays and that would be huge for me. So we're if you guys are feeling generous. We're trying to get Anthony enough money to where he can move to St. Mary's, Kansas. I really am. Well, me and Rob have our hopes on Tennessee, and we're hoping we could get this thing big enough. But because if I was ever, I mean, again, the goal, the goal is I'd love to work at the Daily Wire one day. If you guys lived in Tennessee, all of us could meet up for a beer or something like that in person. That'd be great. So, all right. So, no, Missy, you came in a little late, so you haven't been here the full hour of 40 minutes. But, all right, so we're going to wrap this one up. Anybody that wants to see, you guys can literally just go, and if you don't want to pay, you could just go subscribe to the locals for free, and you'll get the link. I don't want it to be public on YouTube, so uh, we're going to wrap this up. Let me see. What can we take us out with? Uh, let's see. <laughs> Rob's got some funny videos in here, man. <laughs> Wait, I guess we'll just go with our typical. Where is it? Oh, he took. What did he take the Unite the Clans out? No, did he? All right, we're leaving with this, guys. Trapping ready to have again. Look at it. We got a fire popping out here again. Cause they're always going down somewhere. Cause crack. Cause all on 